Xtalks connects professionals in the life science, medical device, and food industries with useful content like webinars, job openings, articles, and virtual meetings to help you succeed in your career. This food industry-focused podcast brings together some of our editorial staff to share insights into the latest B2B industry news to help keep you up to date. This week on the show, we are discussing the top three allergy-friendly food brands and the role best-before dates have on food waste. Enjoy the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the X Talks Food Podcast. I'm Sydney Perlmutter, Senior Food Industry Journalist and Webinar Moderator at XTalks.com, and this week I'm joined by Aisha Rashid and Vera Kovacevic. Thanks for coming today. So I'm going to start us off with a story about three allergy-friendly food brands. Um, now, you may have looked at the story already, and Vera, you may remember from editing it, but I'm just going to throw this question out there before I get into it. How many Americans um, do you think suffer with allerg- allergies every year? Um, and you may be looking at the story, or you may not know, uh, but feel free to take a guess. I'm going to say a lot. <laughs> Yeah, I'm going to say like a third of Mm. Americans, a third. So that is a bit of an overestimation, um, but the, you know, not a bad guess. There's about 32 million people in the U.S. who have food allergies and it is a lot. And that means that, you know, food friendly, sorry, that allergy friendly brands not only have this large audience base, but they're also necessities because people with allergies need need to eat as well. So with the Halloween season approaching, um, which is kind of big in terms of, you know, food allergies, here are some of the top allergy-friendly companies that people should watch out for. So the first one I've written about in the past, it's called Partake Foods, and it's become one of the most popular allergy-friendly food brands, and it recently secured another $11.5 million in a Series B funding round. So the company has raised in total $21.3 million since it was founded in 2016. And it also made the founder and CEO Denise Woodard the first black woman to raise over a million dollars publicly for a consumer packaged goods startup. So Partake was first envisioned when Woodard's daughter began developing food allergies and she couldn't find snack food options that really stood out to her. Not only that, but she felt that allergy-friendly food brands weren't effectively reaching consumers outside the allergy-friendly space and they were really just targeting people that did have allergies. So she worked with emerging brands at Coca-Cola, um, but she decided to give a, give it a go. Um, So that's when she left Coca-Cola and founded Partake with a mission to create an allergy-friendly food brand that prioritizes taste and ingredients. And the brand offers a variety of allergen-free snacks, including cookies, baking mixes, and breakfast mixes, which can be found online and in over 9,000 retail stores. So some of those stores include Kroger, Sprouts, Target, Walmart, and Whole Foods. So Partake is one of those allergy-friendly brands that is hard to miss and has really made a name for itself in the last few years. Now, the second one is one that I have seen and actually had a few of their products, and it's called Enjoy Life. So it was actually founded way back when in 2001, um, and it was acquired by food giant Mondelez International for $81 million in 2015. It's actually become North America's largest allergy-friendly food brand, offering sweet and savory snacks that are also free from gluten and, of course, the common food allergens. So this purchase also enabled Enjoy Life to relocate production from suburban Chicago 
Chicago to a 200,000 square foot facility in Jeffersonville, Indiana. So Enjoy Life obviously runs its own dedicated facility with some of the strictest protocols in the industry for keeping products free of nuts, dairy, gluten, soy, and other top allergens. So the company has benefited from the economies of scale that Mondelez has offered with the corporation simply offering support while letting its successful purchase run business as usual. And as far as products go, Enjoy Life's offerings are extensive. So on the sweet side, the company offers baking chocolate, cookies, brownies, chocolate, and chewy bars, seed and fruit mixes, and more. And then on the savory side, they have six flavors of lentil chips, including dairy-free cheddar and garlic and Parmesan. So the brand's products can be found online and in retailers across North America. And I actually had tried one of their chocolate bars before, and it was sort of a a, a chocolate bar with, uh, um, I, I suppose, their version of of Rice Krispies in it. I actually had no idea that it was allergen free. I don't personally have any allergies. I was just trying it because it was low in sugar Um, and it was fantastic. It was delicious. And it's a good example of a company, um, you know, targeting people who also don't have allergies and are just looking for sort of quote unquote healthier versions of, um, you know, a chocolate bar, for example. And then the final company is called Free to Be Foods, and it's not as uh, you know widespread in popularity as Partaker Enjoy Life, but it's another allergy-friendly food brand that offers sweet treats free from the nine major allergens. However, it didn't fully start off as an allergy-friendly brand. So in 2016, Free to Be made the transition into a fully dairy-free company, which meant a reformulation of its most popular product, and it's their chocolate cups. So they sort of resemble Reese's uh, peanut butter cups. And since then, the company's facility has been free of 12 allergens, meaning that peanuts, tree nuts, dairy, soy, gluten, egg, fish, shellfish, corn, sesame, coconut, and mustard are never allowed in production. So it began using organic rice syrup powder in place of milk powder for its chocolate cups, along with other allergy-free ingredients. And it offers a variety of confectionery products, um, including sun cups, which are made of sunflower butter, baking and melting wafers, crunchsters, which are a savory and crunchy snack and a limited edition Halloween bag of treats. So yeah, I think it's really important to uh, to talk about you know some allergy friendly brands just because of the sheer number of people that you know have allergies and need to find alternatives. Um, like I said, I personally don't have any allergies, but of course schools and other public uh, areas where p- kids do have allergies. I remember certain school. My school had you know an allergy free or an allergen free table, um, you know, to accommodate kids um, and whatnot. But yeah, what are your thoughts on, you know, these these brands gaining popularity? Um, do you think that more mainstream brands should offer like allergen free versions of some of their popular products? Um, I know we see it with 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 other things like low sugar versions or dairy free versions. But yeah, do you think that bigger companies should should sort of take this audience into consideration um, since we don't really see much of that? Uh, yes, definitely. Um, I, I do think like the companies that you listed, their primary focus is aller- allergy-free mm-hmm. food, right? So perhaps some bigger food companies have a few allergy-free products, but yeah, I think most of their products don't really cater to the allergy-free audience. Um, also with the three food companies you mentioned, 
it's mostly snacks, right? And I assume that most allergy-free products would be snacks because if you want an allergy-free meal, you either have to cook it or maybe there's like a meal kit perhaps somewhere offered. But yeah, I think even like for snacks, lots of people with allergies, they don't have many options, right? It's just these specialized companies. Right. Yeah. And I was I was thinking of, you know, people that I knew growing up who had peanut butter allergies, for example, and I was sad for them that they could never have, you know, Reese's peanut butter cups, which are, you know, absolutely delicious. And I think it would be a really interesting thing to see, um, you know, a, a allergen free version of Reese's peanut butter cups. Um I don't know if how good that would taste, honestly, but um, I have had, you know, quote unquote, peanut butter free peanut butter before, and it was pretty good. You slather some chocolate on that. I'm sure it would be delicious. Yeah, you know what? Like, I think this is really great that we have that there are these um, companies that specialize specifically in like um, foods that are allergen free. So, you know, people who do have allergies um, do have an option. And the same thing. Yeah. Growing up, like, I don't think there were many options at all. So I think we've come a long way for sure. Um, as to whether other companies might follow suit. Um, I mean, that's something they would have to look at. I mean, again, cost benefit analysis kind of a thing um, to see whether it makes sense for them financially. But from a perspective of you know catering to different um segments of the population i think it's really important and um you got me thinking because like i don't have a peanut allergy but i grew up like not liking peanuts and so maybe it could cater to people that just don't have a taste for certain foods even so it <laughs> it kind of opens up a lot of different um questions and, and things like that too or, or areas um again you can't cater to every single person but you know food allergies are so common like I was uh I knew there were a lot of people that do suffer from them but like 32 million is is a very significant um portion of the population so I think it's it's not something to be ignored <clears throat> ignored at all Yes, and, and Vera, you, you brought up a really interesting point about how all of these companies that I talked about are mainly snack food mm. companies. Um, and I will have to look into whether there are, you know, um, meal delivery or meal kit companies that are allergen free because I've never come across one. And I, I just feel like those with allergies are sort of marginalized a little bit um, by like big food corporations. Um, since I guess they're they've they spent many years formulating recipes that are you know tried and true, so they don't really want to mess with those. Um, but yeah, time will tell. It, it'll also tell whether you know food allergies decrease. Um, I know that a while ago, our colleague Mira wrote about um, a baby food company that sought to introduce babies to allergens in attempt to reduce uh, the, 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 the risk of them developing allergies. Um, so maybe we'll also see some more um, companies trying to prevent allergies uh, in the first place. All right, moving on. Um, next is a really interesting question. Um, and I'm going to do some explaining and maybe clear some things up for you in terms of semantic terms. 
Um, but the question is, are best before dates on food packaging to blame for food waste? So obviously there's been a growing awareness around the world about the problem of food waste and one culprit is being scrutinized and that is best before dates on food packaging. So while food and beverage manufacturers have used labels for decades to estimate peak freshness, consumers are confused about date codes, often causing more food waste than necessary. So there's a generally held assumption among consumers that best before dates mark the expiration date of a food item. However, unlike use-by dates, which can be found on perishable food items like meat, dairy, and produce, best before dates actually have nothing to do with the food safety and may encourage consumers to throw out food that is actually perfectly safe to eat. So really what best before dates indicate is food quality and the re and recommend when a product's taste and texture will be at its best rather than anything having to do with it expiring. So this important distinction has caused a lot of confusion among consumers with one poll indicating that 80% of consumers don't understand how to read dates properly. So many consumers mix up the terms best buy and use buy causing them to discard food as soon as it reaches the best before date. Um, because they believe it's unsafe to eat after this. So confusion around date codes on food packaging is often cited as a contributor to food waste across the U.S. and globally. To tackle this problem, uh, we're seeing some grocery stores making strides to remove best before dates. For example, major U.K. chains like Aldi, Marks & Spencer's, Sainsbury's, and Waitrose recently removed best before dates from prepackaged fruits and vegetables. And with this approach, the idea is that less food will be thrown out prematurely because consumers will be using their best judgment to determine whether food, pro food products are still safe to eat. So obviously the need for a date becomes pointless when consumers can use their sight, smell, or touch to figure out whether cow's milk, for example, is safe to drink. I think we've all sort of given the sniff test uh, to see if uh, milk is expired, and that's a pretty good way to indicate um, you know, whether it's safe to drink. So will this trend emerge in the U.S.? Currently, no, unfortunately, there is no similar push to scrap best before dates, nor is there actually a federal law um, of date labels for food products other than baby formula. So date codes were widely adopted by manufacturers in the 1970s to answer consumers' concerns about product freshness. And since there are no federal rules governing them, manufacturers are allowed to determine when they believe their products will taste best. So this essentially means across state lines, consumers will just find a mishmash of different labels that fall under various state laws and guidance. While best before dates are mostly well-intentioned, the lack of standardized legislation is cause for concern because it's causing all of this confusion. So that's why some U.S. chains, including Walmart, have shifted their store brands to standardize best if used by and used by labels. And some federal agencies, trade groups, and politicians are also urging businesses to stop using a variety of terms with unclear meanings, including enjoyed by and expires on, um, and instead create common standards that all consumers can understand at face value. But in the meantime, as I said, consumers should definitely continue using their best judgment in determining whether food is safe to eat. So writing this story kind of opened up my eyes. Um, I had never really paid attention to the fact that there were several different terms for, you know, best before dates. Um, 
but is that something that you guys knew? Um, like, did you know that foods were still safe to eat even if they um, were past their best before dates? Um, and how do you guys, um, when you're trying to determine whether food is safe to eat, what do you guys do? Do you use your senses or do you look at the date? Yeah, I have noticed uh, the different terminology for um best before or best used by dates and um it can get very confusing and you know i also i also know people that um don't really pay attention to those dates and will like use things beyond you know the recommended date there that's another one recommended date as well so there there are a lot of terms out there and yeah i can see how like it's confusing for me and like definitely it's uh, it's a cause for confusion. And then it also like depends on how you personally store items as well. Because for example, if you have a loaf of bread and it says it expires or it's recommended to be or best used by a certain date, but you can prolong its freshness if you, let's say, store it in the fridge or freeze it, especially, right? So there are people that, um, you know, store items in different ways so that also needs to be taken into account but i do agree that um, there needs to be a standardized uh, method by which to um, indicate when like the the life the shelf life of a, of a food essentially because it's there's a lot of confusion out there yeah just thinking about the reason why food companies have you know a best by date just relating to food quality so this date is not related to food safety as you said Sydney so they have this date so that consumers don't buy their product and then think oh this isn't as fresh enough this this seems a little dry etc right there's so many reasons why or how a food's quality can diminish with time while still being safe to eat so to avoid getting complaints, I think they just be held accountable and liable. Here. Yeah, um, <laughs> I think that's why they just have that, um, even though it, yes, it's contributing to food waste, which is a major issue. Um, yeah, so once again, I just think they are covering their consumer satisfaction with that date. And that's that's the most part right now. Do you guys think if they have two dates <laughs> like a safe buy or you know <laughs> do you think confusing. that would be more confusing yeah. to people I think two dates would be even more confusing to yeah, people yeah I think so like I know where you're coming from like Vera like it you know just to try to clarify or add more specificity but I think it would just be more confusing and I come from a household where like my mom especially like taught us like she swears by expiration dates like she'll even throw stuff out like if it's a day before she's like oh well it's almost there and you know so no 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 we'll get something fresh so that's how i grew up thinking but um i mean yeah we need to rely on our senses as well like if you see some mold on your bread it might be time to throw it out but it, it's kind of like oh when was that mold forming you know when it was microscopic it was there but but I guess it was safe then. So it's just, I don't know, it's very complicated too. So I think even for manufacturers, I think it's not an easy thing actually. Yeah, and considering just, especially with produce and, and, and fresh food, um, 
considering all the steps that, uh, you know, in the supply chain, mm -hmm. and it's, it is really their best guess of, you know, when food is, is going to be the freshest. Um, but, you know, I, I buy a lot of berries, and I will never, you know, discard an entire package of berries if just one of them is kind of mushy or mm -hmm. moldy. You discard of that one, the ones around it, and you, you know, yeah, you use your best judgment and your senses to determine whether the rest are safe to eat. In that circumstance, I'm not going to just look at a, you know an expiration date and think oh it, it expires tomorrow i can eat the moldy one <laughs> like it goes the other way too yeah. so that's why like our senses are always the best and you're not gonna drink chunky milk um if if it expires in two days it's already chunky yeah. you're gonna throw yeah, it out so, too. like sometimes things actually go bad before the expiration date yeah so, sometimes they yeah. do so yeah that's why we should always be using mm -hmm. our our senses um regardless of the date and and maybe they're good you know in indication of if you're in the grocery store and you don't want to buy produce let's say that expires tomorrow yeah. you you want to reach for the the quote-unquote freshest produce um but yeah I, I totally agree there really does need to be fewer terms um and this is something I think we see across like the food industry as a whole not even just when it comes to dates but when it comes to terms that we see on foods like uh you know whole grains and made with uh, whatever it is mm. like there's there's too many terms for for too little things and obviously that just causes confusion and yeah when they're not regulated or when they're not when companies are left to decide what they want to do that's never that's never good for consumers they're going to end up confused and potentially causing food waste which is which is not good but you know what, I was surprised how you mentioned that in the UK, like some companies are discarding a date because that's so, I can't imagine yeah, buying something without a date on it. Like everybody looks at the date. If you want to give someone a box of chocolates, like mm. you need to make sure the date is well, <laughs> you know, that's not expiring like next week. You know what I mean? Like everybody looks at the date. Yeah, so at the moment, they are just doing it with like prepackaged fruit. They're, to my knowledge, they're not doing it with, with anything else, um, pre just prepackaged fruits and vegetables. Because um, personally, when, when I agree with you, especially for like, you know, for chocolates or, or, or other goods, like I, I may look at the expiration date, but with fruit and vegetables, yeah. I'm really just looking at the package itself to see like, oh, are there good ones? Are there bad ones in here? Are they mostly good? And I think that's kind of what they're going mm. for in terms of removing that date is just like just assuring consumers that like, yeah, you just have to look and determine if, if it's if it's good. And the likelihood is you're going to eat it within the next few days, too. But yeah, it's it's a big it's a big risk. I think they're just trying this out to see if it actually will, you know, help reduce food waste. All right. Well, that brings us to the end of this episode of the X Talks Food Podcast. If you like today's show, don't forget to rate, review and subscribe. Thanks, everyone. And see you next week. Bye. 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 Thanks for listening to the X Talks Food Industry Podcast. If you enjoyed our discussions today, please share the episode with your friends and colleagues and be sure to subscribe in order to be notified when a new episode is released. To join in on the discussion, you can find X Talks on social media, email podcast at xtalks.com or comment on the articles directly. Links are in the show description. Take a moment to join our community at xtalks.com to get access to everything we have to offer, including webinars, job listings, virtual meetings, articles, and more. 
The views and opinions expressed in the podcast are those of the speakers sharing them. They should not be taken as professional advice and do not necessarily reflect the policy or position Honeycomb Worldwide. For further information, email us at podcast at xtalk.com. Thanks for joining us and we'll see you next week.